Hi everyone, Carrie here. Just wanted to share with you that you can now listen to Jury Duty ad-free by becoming a patron to our Patreon. In addition to these ad-free episodes, you'll get exclusive access to the full Crime Story podcast catalog, including our interviews with groundbreaking crime storytellers like the creators of The Wire, Breaking Bad, and The Sopranos, and all of our reporting by Amanda Knox. Just search for Jury Duty via the Patreon website or the Patreon app. Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last trial coverage episode, we continued our exploration of Prosecutor Thomas Binger's direct examination of state witness Richie McGinnis, focusing specifically on the moments of the shooting of Joseph Rosenbaum. On today's episode, we conclude Prosecutor Binger's direct examination of McGinnis, focusing on the immediate aftermath of the Rosenbaum shooting. That's all coming up right after the break. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. At the end of our last trial coverage episode, Prosecutor Thomas Binger and witness Richie McGinnis were concluding their debate about whether McGinnis had described Joseph Rosenbaum as falling or lunging as Kyle Rittenhouse fired four shots at Rosenbaum, with McGinnis standing virtually directly behind the man who was shot. When that sequence of questions ended, Judge Bruce Schrader called for a break. We resume with Prosecutor Binger asking McGinnis about his positioning as the shots were fired. Thank you. Good afternoon, Mr. McGinnis. We're going to continue where we left off this morning. You were describing the situation where the defendant shot Mr. Rosenbaum. I want to talk about where you were at at that location and what was going on through your mind. Um, earlier, I think you said your eyes were focused on the barrel of the gun. Is that fair to say? That's Yes. When you saw what was going on in front of you between Mr. Rittenhouse and Mr. Rosenbaum, uh, what was going through your mind at that moment? Well, um, at the at the point at which uh, Mr. Rittenhouse turned around and Mr. Rosenbaum was continuing to advance, um, that's when I realized that they were going to collide or meet. But it was clear based on the speed with which Mr. Rosenbaum was running and obviously what was uh, shouted beforehand that you know that they weren't coming together to have a friendly meeting. Um, and given that Mr. Rittenhouse was armed, um, I became extremely worried. Um, because I was behind Rosenbaum that I was going to be um, caught uh, in the, whatever was about to happen. Did you feel like you were positioned in the line of fire? I did, and that's why I altered my trajectory slightly um, as the shots were being fired. When those shots were being fired, uh, did anything happen to you? What exactly do you mean by that? Did, did you get hit? Nope. Did you feel at the mo at that moment like you had gotten hit? 
Um, well, I told the police the night of, um, because they were asking me, you know, where my eyes were. So as they were, uh, as Rosenbaum was lunging forward, uh, my eyes were on the gun, but as the shots, uh, when the shots were fired, I, I did actually change my, um, I, I looked down at my legs because, um, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult for me to say whether it was a, a sound or a sensation, but there was, uh, um, feeling sound that something went past my legs and I looked down and then I looked back up. Um, and I actually like stepped my feet to make sure that they were, I was fine. You told the defect detective that you felt something on your leg and you first, your first thought was that you had been shot, correct? I, I was, I was worried of that. Absolutely. Um, I, I again, I, I'm not sure, um, whether it was something that actually, you know, uh, actually contacted my pants or whether it was just the, you know, sensation sound, but it caused me to look down and I did, um, you know, stamp my legs to make sure that they felt okay. Did you feel that the defendant's actions of turning around and pointing the gun and discharging those rounds put you in danger? I would say that, uh, given where I was, uh, Certainly, I was I was in danger. Yes. Let me back up one second. We've talked a lot about Mr. Rosenbaum's actions towards Mr. Rittenhouse, and I just want to clarify one uh, uh, part of that. At any point, did you see Mr. Rosenbaum touch the defendant's gun? It's hard for me to say whether he actually uh, made contact with the gun, but um, what I can say is that they were extremely close, and that. Um, the, if, if he did, then it didn't alter the trajectory of the weapon. Um, so if he did, it wasn't like, you know, he got a hand on it. It was maybe barely grazed it, but they were, they were very close. And it was um, actually, uh, since I was behind him, it, you know, his body was partially obstructing um, the barrel of the, of the gun at that time. So I couldn't say definitively whether or not uh, there was contact made. We know from all the videos, from all the evidence, Mr. Rittenhouse fires four rounds. You testified earlier, Mr. Rosenbaum winds up face down on the ground, correct? Correct. What did you do then? Well, I, uh, after the shots were fired, um, there, was other, there were other shots that were going off. And at this point, I'm aware of the fact that, you know, that's probably gunfire. Um, Mr. Rittenhouse, in, from my perspective, had run away. Um, and Mr. Rosenbaum was lying behind a car. And so I knew that he was given the shots were fired at such close range that he had to have been hit. Um, and he was lying lifeless on the ground. And so I saw him behind the car and I, I um, saw it as both, both a place that I could get safety, but also help him. And um, so I, I ran over I said something along the lines of, uh, are you okay? I'm going to flip you over slowly. And, uh, then I, I flipped him over. And, uh, at that point, um, other people were arriving and that's, you know, basically all the rest is on video, but, uh, we were trying to, I, I presume that there were, you know, given the, the weapon that he was using, that there had to be uh, big wounds and, um, as people arrived, we were looking for those. Uh, and then 
uh, somebody shouted that there was a hospital across the street, at which point um, I told one individual to grab his other arm and we uh, carried him across the street. Let me stop you there for a second. Um, can we please play uh, Exhibit 19? The court AV technician then replays a video recorded by Drew Hernandez from the conservative radio program Real America's Voice. The clip, which Binger first presented during Detective Martin Howard's testimony, shows Hernandez's POV as he follows after Richie McGinnis. McGinnis, in turn, is following behind Joseph Rosenbaum as Rosenbaum appears to pursue Kyle Rittenhouse. They are approximately 30 to 40 yards from the camera. We hear a first gunshot, and then as Rittenhouse and Rosenbaum run between the cars, the camera shakes and we hear the four gunshots from Rittenhouse's rifle. Then, as three more shots ring out, Rittenhouse runs through the path between the cars, back around those cars to his left, and ends up behind McGinnis, who bends over, then squats down, and begins tending to Rosenbaum. McGinnis then rises, takes his shirt off, and then squats down again, apparently using the shirt to try to staunch Rosenbaum's bleeding. Behind him we see Rittenhouse. After looking at Rosenbaum for a moment, just as McGinnis starts to take off his shirt, Rittenhouse pulls out his phone and appears to make a phone call. After speaking on the phone for about eight seconds, Rittenhouse starts running away from the scene and vanishes on the right side of the frame, heading back in the direction from which he originally came. Binger requests the video to be paused and asks McGinnis, Is it hard for you to see that? I, don't, I certainly don't like to watch it. I understand. Um, I wanted to show that to you because there's a moment after the shooting where you are taking your shirt off. Um, why did you do that? Because I presume that um, given how close they were that he had been hit and that um, uh, my dad was an ER doctor and you know if something's bleeding you apply pressure. So that was the goal with uh, doing that. We see in the video that the defendant runs around the cars and comes close to you. And again, like I said earlier, we're gonna try and go back to that moment in time. I yes. know benefit of hindsight, but at that particular moment as you're standing there next to Mr. Rosenbaum's body, did you know that was the defendant? I did not. What did you think was going on with that figure um, next to you? Well, the way that I saw it from like, it was kind of a tunnel vision situation. So I was looking at Mr. Rosenbaum on the ground and attempting to find where the wounds were. And um, it was like a pair of legs arrived next to me from my peripheral vision. And I just screamed, call 911. And then I saw a hand reach into the pocket. Um, and I assumed that that was what was happening. Um, and actually when I got up, um, I did, uh, watching the video after the fact, I was facing Mr. Rittenhouse, but uh, given that I was in the process of removing my shirt, I was actually looking at the ground and I, I um, I told the police night, I didn't even, I actually remember the moment the next morning that I realized that that was Mr. Rittenhouse um, when I saw the video. If you had known in that moment that that was Mr. Rittenhouse, would you have felt in danger? I think um, I felt in danger anyways, um, but I certainly, I think, would have maybe changed my tone of voice. Um, I can't really imagine what I would have done, uh, but, um, 
I mean, I was, I was afraid in that moment anyways. Uh, so it's hard for me to say. The individual who you sensed next to you, we now know the defendant. You said he pulled out his phone. I just saw his hand go into his pocket. And that's like, from my perspective, that's all that I saw. And I assumed that, you know, that was, you know, I had said call 911, hand went into the pocket. I assumed that that was what was happening. Did you hear the defendant say anything at any point after he shot Mr. Rosenbaum? I did not, no. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Binger then presents a clip from Richie McGinnis's own camera that he also presented earlier during Detective Martin Howard's testimony. Judging from the angle, the camera appears to be hanging from McGinnis's body and shakes and jostles, offering us occasional glimpses of Rosenbaum as he lays face down on the parking lot asphalt until we hear McGinnis turn him over. After the body is turned over, we hear a male voice, presumably McGinnis's, say, get a light on it. A female voice says, put pressure on it, put pressure on it, put fucking pressure on it. A male voice shouts, where, where's the hole? The female voice yells, it's right here, on his head, on his head. Put pressure, put pressure, put pressure. A voice says to Rosenbaum, keep your eyes open. The female voice says, you shot him. And McGinnis says, I didn't. We hear a male voice say, just talk to me, bro. Because McGinnis is tending to Rosenbaum and not operating the camera, we do not see very much, and in fact, for much of the video, the screen is black. We hear someone say, stay with me. We hear someone say, get him up, get him up, get his arms. And then what sounds like the group carrying Rosenbaum to the SUV. Are you okay? Just don't move, man. Don't move. All right, I'm going to flip you over real quick. I'm gonna flip you over real quick, bro. Here, kid, flip over real quick. Just gotta get pressure on this, dude. Where's it at? Where is it? Where is it? On his... Turn around. Where's it at, dude? Get a light on it. Get a light. Get me a fucking light. Put pressure on it. Put fucking Where? Where, dude? Where? Where's the hole? Get the fucking mask off. Come on. Put pressure. Put pressure. Put pressure. Binger next asks McGinnis about his experiences during the clip that was just played. I think you 
testified a little bit ago, and I, I want to pick up where you left off that um, you attempted to treat Mr. Rosenbaum, uh, and then there's a process by which he is uh, carried over to the hospital. Is that right? That's correct, yes. Can you tell us about your involvement in that process? Um, well, uh, my hand was on his head, and I was under his right uh, shoulder. Um, there was another individual under his left shoulder, and then there were uh, maybe one or two people uh, carrying his legs. And um, we ran across the street, and there was somebody who uh, told us that he worked at the hospital and that we should put him in the car to get him there quicker, at which point he opened the tailgate. Um, and uh, there, we loaded him into the back of the car, and uh, it was there were people actually um, there's a large crowd around the back of the car, couldn't close the tailgate. And, uh, so we told, we just said, screw the, uh, forget the tailgate. Uh, and we drove down, um, a small ramp. Um, and at that point I was alone in the back, with Mr. Rosenbaum. And I was just telling him that we we're going to have a beer together afterwards and it was all going to be okay. And, um, uh, uh, that, once we arrived, the gate had to go up and we went through the gate and that was like right next to the ER. And um, I helped uh, some medical uh, personnel came out with a gurney and then I helped them load it on, load him onto the gurney. And then they took him uh, into the hospital. We've seen the video that you recorded at Mr. Rosenbaum's body. There's another video uh, that we were watching before that of someone else approaching the scene. It appears to me in the videos that, at least at the beginning, Mr. Rosenbaum has his eyes open. Was he ever responsive to you? Um, uh, I, I, I believe that uh, when I was talking to him in the vehicle, um, I like to think that he could hear me. It seemed that his eye was looking at me, um, but it was kind of rolling back. And then um, when I started talking, it rolled back kind of towards me and I was looking at him. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure if he heard me, but uh, I think perhaps he did. Did he say anything? No, he was having difficulty even uh, breathing. Just so we're clear, I, from, the, from the moment you came upon his body after the shooting until the end, did you ever hear Mr. Rosenbaum say anything at all? No. Prosecutor Binger concludes his direct examination with one last question for Mr. McGinnis. Can you tell us in your own words how you were feeling at that moment? Um... I, it was just surreal. It was, um, I felt, um, scared about, uh, what was going to happen, um, what I would have to do, um, after that, because I knew, you know, that I had, what I had seen, I, I was, I became more worried once I realized that my phone, uh, wasn't recording. Why do you say that? 
um, because um, that made me realize that I, it was my eyes that saw it and that um, rather than just um, being able to show, I'd have to tell. Like you're doing today. Yes. I have nothing further. And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us on our next episode as we begin our look at defense attorney Mark Richards' cross-examination of Richie McGinnis. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.